Welcome to the DermVet Podcast. I'm Dr. Ashley Bourgeois, a board-certified veterinary dermatologist practicing in Portland, Oregon with animal dermatology clinics. I'm also a mom of two, just trying to find the balance like everyone else. Let's learn to ditch the itch, cytology, everything, and make derm more fun than frustrating. I decided for this week's episode of the podcast as I'm scheduling and gearing up to do some fun interview ones, which I'm so excited about. But as we get to that point, I wanted to do an episode with just a couple, you know, grab bag quick tips, like just easy, quick tips that kind of summarize a lot of things we talk about on the podcast that come up a lot when I'm lecturing about various topics. You know, these are things that really can be implemented through many different diseases that you manage and different diagnostics. And you've heard a lot of these topics on the podcast, but this is just kind of a fun variety package of quick tips that I think can make a huge difference. Number one, quick tip for cytology, practice makes perfect. Remember, there's many different ways that you can cytology and be successful. You know that I tend to like direct impression smear, many podcast episodes about cytology. It's just because I was trained to be more confident in direct impression smear. I feel really comfortable utilizing direct impression smear and feel like I get a better sample. Um, If there's a crusted lesion, I use the edge of the slide to try to get under the crust. If there are draining lesions, you can kind of squeeze up some of that material and do uh, just a direct, um, you don't even have to smear it, just a direct, you know, dab of that. And one of my tips is that besides using the edge of the slide and making sure you're assertive with your technique is to try to use your non-dominant hand to help. So if I have certain areas, um, I'll either, you know, pinch up the skin. So I have a plateau of tissue or kind of flatten it out. If I have something like an inner digital space, I'll go to the opposite side of where I'm sampling and kind of push that tissue up. Same with, you know, certain areas of the body, like around the perioral lesion, I'll kind of take my hand and get under that lip so that I kind of give myself a plateau plateau of tissue that I can use. But of course, there's other great techniques too, like the swab technique. If you're trying to get into tail folds or facial folds, you know I love a toothpick. But what I really, really, really want to stress with cytology is people get really frustrated quickly and ask, well, how do you get such good samples? I don't get that much when I sample a lesion. I'm like, well, first of all, I only do skin, so I have a lot of practice. Um, but second of all, just practice, practice, practice. I think people assume, well, cytology, I'll just do it once or twice and be an expert at it. It really is kind of second nature once you do a lot of cytology. And by practice, again, if you have patients that are sedated for something, like a deep ear flush, like practice collecting cytology from their inner digital spaces. Even if they don't have lesions, you can just practice what that feels like. You know, if you are doing neuters, spays, dentals, you know, practice swabbing areas that you find more difficult. If you do a lot of exams on these patients, even though they're not coming in for skin lesions, you'll be surprised. You may find some skin lesions or practice going into the ears with otoscopy. You know, you don't necessarily have to charge the client for it. And if it's a non-invasive thing, especially if they're sedated, it's not fearful for them. But just practice on the still animal 
Do not give up. If you have a mentor in the clinic, if you have a technician who's really great at cytology, you know, watch them have compare samples to what they're collecting, you know, have them give you tips because you usually can find some derm rock stars in a lot of clinics that feel more confident with cytology and can give you that guidance. But I always suggest that you practice in low stress situations. So if they're sedated, they're anesthetized, it's not an invasive procedure. So it's something that you can practice in those patients that are still. And then one, you may find some lesions. Um, But two, when you do get the patients that are in front of the clients and are more active, you'll just have that technique down so you can feel more confident. So number one, practice makes perfect with cytology. Number two, let's move on to biopsies. Number two, if you biopsy something, like to say go big or go home, and that for me is a couple different things. One, go big or go home is please, if you have a decent sized lesion, do not take two millimeter punches. I would say I'm trying to at least go six millimeter punches in many of my cases, even eight. Um, only if it's an area that's kind of smaller or more, um, vasculature, like a nasal planum, then I'll probably go down to something like a four. Um, but I really, especially in like a truncal lesion, abdominal lesion, if I don't have concern of like bleeding necessarily or closing the tissue over a certain spot, you want to give the dermatohistopathologist more tissue. That's going to maximize the chance that we're going to get an answer. And if you take these tiny punches, it's really easy for them to not really process as well and you won't get as good of a sample. The other aspect of go big or go home is please take more than one sample if you have diffuse disease. So by go big, go big and how many you take. If I have a diffuse disease, I am personally usually getting probably four, at least if I can, maybe more. If you have different areas of the body that shows you lesions, get different areas. So if you have paw pad lesions and truncal lesions, try to get both. Um, you and a lot, of, especially these autoimmune diseases, it can be really difficult for the pathologist to find specific findings that give you an actual diagnosis. So I've had cases where they get sent to me, they had like a one-site biopsy for diffuse disease, and it wasn't conclusive. And when I biopsy many, many, many sites, like four or five sites, it gives the pathologist more to work with. And then maybe of those five sites, one or two has the answer that they're looking for. So if I'm going to put a pet through a biopsy, and again, especially if it's diffuse disease, I really want to walk away with an answer. So I'm just going to maximize the chance that we're going to get the answer by getting bigger samples if I can and by getting many samples. Because when you talk about certain diseases like pemphigus foliaceus, epitheliotropic lymphoma, sometimes they're very straightforward, but sometimes it can be more difficult to really decipher through those. And so we want to give as many options as possible so that our pathologist can hopefully give us an answer. None of us like to get back, you know, chronic inflammation. That's a really frustrating biopsy to get back. Number three tip. Please remember when we talk about things like multimodal approach to allergies, yes, or antipyritics are great. I mean, when I started practicing dermatology, we didn't have apical or cytopoint. And it's amazing how much those have transformed, how much more quickly we can make these dogs more comfortable with those therapies. But when we say multimodal approach, we're including other things that are beneficial like topicals, 
you know, supplements in some cases. So especially topicals, the fact that we can bathe these pets, and we've talked a lot about different ways that topicals can be helpful. It doesn't just have to be when they're infected. But yes, when they're infected, utilizing things like 3 to 4% chlorhexidine, you know, if it's a yeast infection, chlorhexidine can still work, but potentially using azoles in some of those cases topically. Of course, we love being able to manage those things topically, the infection itself. But do not forget about multimodal approach for maintenance. You know, if we can minimize how many infections happen or how many pharmaceuticals that pet has to be on, that's wonderful. So being able to do things like bathe with maintenance shampoos, you know, use mousses, wipe the paws when they come in from outside to remove those pollens to restore the skin barrier. You know, depending, there's so many products in dermatology, but everyone has their favorites. But depending on how you like to practice, you know, most of us love topicals. You could also look at things like some supplements. So you have things like Dermaquin and Retinol Ultra um, that have good, some good science behind them that can help with the skin barrier. Of course, you have nutritional things for skin barrier um, like Hills Derm Complete. Uh, Royal Canin just came out this year with Skin Topic which is kind of like their upgraded skin support, which helps with skin barrier and has studies that show it can help reduce how many medications there are on long-term. Prina's had DRM for a long time. So these are not necessarily diets that are looking at food allergy, but can help restore the skin barrier and can be part of that multimodal approach. So whether it's supplements, topicals, nutrition, there's lots of things that we can do to try to minimize infections and try to limit, you know, how many pharmaceuticals we're using because we know that we have a lot of pharmaceuticals we have to use. Okay, my fourth tip, last tip for this kind of grab bag uh, episode is remember that location matters, right? We, we think about real estate, location, location, location. Location matters. And it matters depending on what species you're looking at too. So hopefully you've learned through the podcast over the years that there are certain distribution of lesions, depending on if it's a dog or a cat, that can be really beneficial to help you make a correct diagnosis. So for example, we all know if a dog is looking and chewing their dorsal lumbal sacral region or that back half of the body, rump, tail head, belly, we want to be suspicious of flea allergy dermatitis until we can prove it's not, right? They're on good flea control. We know it's allergies, but we know that that's a really common distribution that we see. We know that armpits and paws are really common areas for dogs to lick and chew with atopic dermatitis. Um, and we know that clawful disease, as we've talked about, if I see clawful disease in a dog, I'm going to be more suspicious of an infection due to allergies compared to a cat, where a cat with purulent clawful uh, disease and swollen clawfolds is pemphigus until proven otherwise. So knowing these little nuances can be helpful, and then that does not mean it's always 100% going to be the case. You practice long enough, you get wild things thrown at you where the cat with periolinclawful disease is not pemphigus foliaceous. But if you kind of take that philosophy of looking for the horses before the zebras, a lot of these different distribution things can be so, so helpful in really guiding what you're doing. Protocols are great for dermatology, but we really want to use our mind and detective thoughts when we're working up these cases, right? We want to 
think through and not just say, oh, well, every itchy dog, you know, we have to do a diet trial. Like we really want to think through like, where are the lesions? Because I know for me, if I'm evaluating the case or if I, if I'm a, you know, client being seen by my doctor, like I don't want to just always go through the same thing. I want them to really be thinking of my history, the distribution of lesions, the response I've had to things in the past to really kind of think through like what is the best use of our time, effort and money. And sometimes we don't know, right? I do lots of diet trials and find out food doesn't matter. But I always make sure I think there's a reasonable chance food could be there before I do a diet trial. I don't do a diet trial on every itchy pet that comes in if it doesn't make sense, even if it's allergic. It just depends on the history and what we've done in the past. So that's why knowing these little things like distribution of lesions can be really, really helpful, especially when there are major differences between certain species. So to recap kind of the four tips that we're going over today, number one, cytology, practice makes perfect. Practice on those pets that are sedated or anesthetized. Work with people who are more comfortable with cytology. Do not give up. You can get good at cytology pretty fast, but give yourself some grace as you're learning to do it. Number two, biopsy, go big or go home. And that means try to use a bigger punch if you can. And also collect many samples if you have something like a diffuse disease that you're trying to diagnose. Number three, remember multimodal approach to allergies includes things that help the skin barrier. So topicals, 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 and then potentially other things like supplements and nutrition that can restore that skin barrier. And then finally, number four, location matters. If you know distribution of lesions between different species, that is going to allow you to more fine-tune your workup. So I hope you guys found that fun, a little bit of a different flavor for the podcast this week. If you ever have ideas for the podcast, always feel free to shoot them at me and keep an eye out for my social media because I'm going to start doing more question boxes of what you guys want to see on the podcast.